Good afternoon, fellow directors, past presidents, members, and guests. Welcome to the 116th season of the Empire Club of Canada. I'm Mike Van Sol, I'm the president of the Empire Club, and I'm delighted to be your host today for our virtual meeting, looking at the construction sector, COVID-19, and what the new normal may entail. From my home to yours, I call this meeting to order. We couldn't do events like this without our sponsors, and I'd like to thank today ResCon for supporting this event. I'd also, excuse me, I'd also like to thank uh, Live LiveMedia.ca and VVC for webcasting today's event, and I'd also like to thank our media partner, the National Post. I'm sure many will recall when governments first considered closing down big parts of the economy, that the construction sector was one of those controversial sectors that prompted a lot of discussion. And I'm sure as we look to open up the economy, it will promote, it will prompt an equal amount of discussion. And while governments deem some projects essential and, and others not, uh, what was never uh, a question was the importance of the construction sector to Ontario's economy. While work mostly stopped in Ontario, in reality, uh, in other jurisdictions, it actually uh, accelerated. The government of Israel, propelled by a $1 billion investment, uh, looked to move quicker on some of its construction projects. As traffic lightened, they moved quicker on highway projects and high-speed rail, high rail projects, which are now slated to actually be completed ahead of schedule. The truth is, we know a lot more now about how to protect our workers on the job from COVID-19. We know that the construction workers, as they go back to the job sites, that many of those learnings will be implemented on the, the sites that they return to. Some experts now think that they will be much less likely to catch the virus outdoors. Other tools are also being looked at. Inside, we may see one-way staircases. We may see work sites segregated by trade. We know that our panel of distinguished guests will certainly have opinions on how that might all work in practice. Another thing we know for certain is that the industry will be fundamental to our economic recovery. The federal government is looking for shovel-ready projects, projects that can be approved quickly and will immediately require the hiring of a lot of Canadians. The federal infrastructure minister says she's been reading about Roosevelt's The New Deal and that her government is prepared to spend billions in infrastructure funds as the country comes back online. To discuss it all, we are joined by a distinguished panel of industry and labor leaders to tell us about the, what the new normal will look like in construction. Let me introduce them now. First, I'd like to start by introducing Giovanni Agazzino. He's a partner at Network Mechanical and the president of the Metropolitan Plumbing and Heating Contractors Association. Welcome, Giovanni. Thank you. Patrick Dillon is the business manager and secretary treasurer of the Provincial Building and Construction Trades Council of Ontario, a position he has held since 1997. He brings to his job and to this conversation years of industry experience having started as an apprentice electrician and worked his way up to become the executive chairman of the IBEW Construction Council of Ontario. He joins us today from Hamilton. Thanks for being here. Rounding Thank out is Joe Vaccaro, the CEO of the Ontario Home Builders Association since 2013. Joe represents more than 4,000 member companies in the new home and renovation industry. He is one of the province's leading experts on expanding new housing supply. He worked previously as the COOO and of the organization and as a senior advisor in government. We're pleased he could join us this afternoon. Finally, today's conversation will be moderated by Deputy Mayor, Mayor Anna Bailao. She has been a member of Toronto City Council since 2010 and was recently re-elected with more than 80% of the vote, the biggest margin of victory for any sitting councillor. She is a member of the Mayor's Executive Committee and, importantly, the Chair of the City's Planning and Housing Committee. Before I turn things over to Anna, please know that this is an interactive event. Uh, there is a tab that you can submit questions. Uh, we will try to get to a bunch of those in the second half of our hour. Um, we hope you find the discussion insightful uh, and we look forward to your participation. Thank you very much for joining us. I'll now turn things over to Anna. 
Thank you, Mike. Uh, I want to start by uh, welcoming uh, our viewers, uh, and I hope everybody is healthy and well and in the comfort of their homes. I want to thank uh, the Empire Club for allowing me to moderate this panel with such distinguished guests and welcome our guests. I will try my utmost best to keep you on topic, on time, and uh, and an interesting discussion uh, going forward. I don't think it'll be hard with all of you. I think my job will be very easy today, uh, but it is a great pleasure to be able to do that uh, with all of you. Uh, this is certainly a topical uh, and interesting uh, topic that has been in the minds of, of many, many people. Uh, we know that construction uh, is almost 7% of Canada's GDP. We know that there's over 1.3 million people, one in 14 Canadians that works uh, in the sector. Uh, and we know that obviously the decision to keep uh, part of the industry um, as essential service came with uh, cer certain uh, controversy, and that's where I want to start. I, I would like to ask uh, all of you um, if you think that the provincial government uh, reached a balance with their decision, if this was the right approach. So, um, Giovanni, why don't we start with you? Uh, sure. Just, yeah. Well, you know, far be it from me to... Uh say anything, any discouraging words on the government, the way they've been handling it. They've got such uh, a well-received um, uh, motive uh, com coming forward, um, but and, and well-deserved. I mean, they really handled things well. Um, having said that, um, I was part of a, uh, a large community that, in, uh, that was looking to have a certain pause uh, on the outset of this, uh, and mainly because uh, the anxiety and the, and the um, um, uh, uncertainty that uh, we faced. Um, and um, the, uh, the motive there was really just all about health at the first time, I mean, making sure our workforce, which is what we are built on, main, is, ma maintains its um, uh, confidence and, uh, and relaxes their, their level of anxiety. Um, that didn't happen, so we had to move forward. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the industry showed itself to work very well with its new regulations. Um, the workforce uh, came together seamlessly, um, and uh, it's, been, it's been going uh, quite well. Um, I would have just liked to see uh, a little bit of a, uh, a pause there just to get the confidence back from the workforce. Um, we haven't seen that back yet. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge, and I was afraid that this would take a longer time um, absent that pause, and we're seeing that to be true. Um, I've done polling on my, uh, on, on my uh, employees and the sector that we belong to, and unequivocally, we all agreed a uh, pause would, would uh, do best. Um, but... Uh, that didn't happen. And again, one thing that we were very good at is flexibility. So um, uh, we're, we move forward. Uh, we have some holes to plug. Uh, there, there's certainly some holes that are still out there that we need plugging. But uh, I'm sure that uh, um, in due course, um, we'll get we'll, we'll reach a point where uh, we're all more comfortable. Thanks. Uh, Joe, do you want to comment on that, on that question? Next. Well, I, I mean, I think it's, I mean, the, the reality is that we all want safe job sites and uh, outside of the COVID-19 situation, it's always our priority on job sites. And that's why you have health and safety committees, joint health and safety committees. And that's why the Ministry of Labor and uh, other safety associations put so much time and energy into their protocol. So as someone who has family on job sites, uh, who has a, an extended family on job sites, uh, Safety is always a priority. So we all want safe job sites. I think what's important here is from the beginning, uh, the industry through a number of committees started doing the work. Um, so when the government was uh, in a position to make a decision, they not only had uh, to take into consideration um, the thousands and thousands and thousands of people waiting to get the keys for their homes and the impact on them and the chain of people behind them. Uh, but he also had the opportunity to look at those health and safety documents and really see that the industry was positioned in a place where uh, they could move forward uh, with protocols in place. 
Having said that, of course, look, we all have to work to keep each other safe. Uh, we all have to be mindful of that. And I, I think there was a shift very early on by industry, uh, builders, um, tradespeople, workers, colleagues. There was a shift very early on, as there should have been, and a lot of pressure very early on to make sure those health and safety protocols were in place and that workers, if they felt unsafe, had a place to call. And I think that's the one thing the government made very, very clear. Premier Ford made very, very clear. The ability for residential construction, in this case, to move forward is contingent on the health and safety of those workers. And the Premier made it very clear in the early days. Uh, he was not uh, afraid to shut down sites if we weren't working together to keep those sites safe. So there's still more work to be done. Um, health and safety is a never-ending concern that we all have to deal with. Uh, but I think when the government looked at all these pieces, I think the premier made a decision based on the fact that there were protocols in place. We were ahead of the game in terms of dealing with this. Um, health and safety is always a priority. And taking into consideration, again, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people waiting for those keys. Um, so that's that's sort of the framework that we work in. And, and there's still improvements being made today. Okay. Pat, did, uh, did the province strike the right balance, in your opinion? Yeah, I'd like to uh, make a few comments there. I guess, uh, first off, I'd like to, on behalf of the building trades, just express uh, our condolences to people that lost loved ones out there uh, through this pandemic. Uh, in saying that, I'd also like to um, uh, thank the frontline workers, the essential workers which includes our uh, construction workforce. Um, they don't uh, get much credit uh, as, um, you know, over this period, but, uh, you know, for people that were, had real concerns about the virus, as we all did in the, uh, right across the population. So the workforce had lots of uh, concerns as did lots of our contractors. And so to them, I thank them for, uh, their efforts through the pandemic. Looking, um, I know the question is about did the provincial government get the, the right balance? I think you got to look at uh, a bit of the history of this that I don't think any government on this continent uh, got it right early on. Uh, I think, uh, you know, China was dealing with this in November and December. January, we had our first cases. We didn't get to this until March the 17th when uh, Ontario was declared a state of emergency. Then um, uh, a week later, um, the essential um, um, services was announced, <clears throat> including construction. From that point forward, I have to say and agree with the, uh, the other uh, uh, comments there. I think the Premier Ford and uh, Minister McNaughton um, did a, a very good job in reaching out and and um, looking at ways to keep our industry open. They didn't ask us if we wanted to keep it open, by the way. It was uh, declared by the government to be essential service, and then it was up to us, and they were quite open for dialogue, what it uh, took to uh, keep it open and uh, health and safety was at the forefront. And so um, from that perspective, from March the 17th on, I think the uh, government of Ontario uh, needs to be uh, commended. Uh, and then some of the municipal governments, I think uh, across the province of the, uh, uh, rose to the occasion as has the federal government. So I think from uh, the middle of March on, uh, a good job has been done. Great. Uh, Joe, I want to go back to the fact uh, that you said a lot of measures have been taken. So can you uh, explain a little bit some of those measures and have they been working? Because Giovanni talked about confident, uh, confidence in the job site and, and there's still some uh, loopholes to be filled. So in your opinion, have those measures been uh, successful? Have they been working? Um, and then I will go back to the other members to see what they have to say about that. Sure. So I think um, working through so, uh, safety associations, um, some of the measures that were put in place were things like uh, um, only one trade at a time in a house, for example, uh, things like uh, scheduling of trades, things like social distancing of trades, things like the input uh, intake form. So when trade people come to a job site, 
they're asked to provide an input form. Have you traveled in the last 14 days? How are you feeling today? Um, these are some of the features put in place from an administrative standpoint, but also on the job site. Um, ensuring that sanitation is in place. I mean, in the first four or five days, that was the call to action uh, from workers across the board. We need better sanitation on site. And that happened. So sanitation, uh, hand sanitizers, wa uh, washing stations, all those things came together. Um, it started with documents about a week before the government made the first round of decisions through those health and safety committees. Um, and they've been improving every single week in an effort to get those done. And I think what's been really helpful is the Premier's words and the Minister McDonough's words here, which is workers who do not feel safe should call the Ministry of Labor. And we've been very vocal about that. Ministry of Labor should get out there, check those sites. If they're not up to the right standards, shut them down. Nobody needs to be worried about their workplace health and safety features. Um, that's what the ministry's for and our membership and our association reached out to all our members across Ontario and we were very blunt with them. If your sites are not to the standard and you get shut down, that's on you. Take the time to keep everybody safe. Let's keep each other safe. And I think that has evolved over the last number of weeks with more improvements along the way. And there'll be more improvements as we learn more about COVID-19 and the other things that we need to do. So I think that's really the approach that we've taken from day one. And uh, I welcome, look, I welcome some of the criticism. I welcome some of that input. The only way you can make these sites safer is by everyone talking about what they need to feel safe. And we're not afraid of that conversation. I know government isn't. Uh, as Pat said, they made the decision to, to uh, uh, make a construction essential service uh, for a whole host of reasons, but they were adamant about safety is first. We're going to be on you. And we've seen that and we welcome that kind of scrutiny. Joe, how do your members accommodate, for example, a worker that walks into a job site and says, I don't feel safe here, I'm going to go home? Is that being accommodated by the industry? Uh, you know, those workers who walk into a job site and say, we don't feel safe, um, they're asked why, what do they need to feel safe, number one. And then number two, uh, they go home and they, they make that call and they, whether it's a, a unionized site or a non-unionized site working through the trade contractor. Um, but there has been lots of dialogue around that. Um, and again, you know, uh, not to be Toronto centric, but when you get outside of Toronto, a lot of these contracting firms, uh, they're family firms. I mean, I grew up in a family firm, residential framing firm. Uh, so, you know, when, when you say to your employer, in my case, it was my father, I don't feel safe in this environment. We need to do something about this. Um, it works its way up through the system and people are forced to respond. Thank you. Pat, uh, as you know, involved with the building trades, is, is that what you're hearing from, from the workers? Is, is it working to feel people feel like, like these measures have been working and they feel like they can, uh, they can be on the job site? Yeah, I think once the um, guidelines were, were published by the provincial government as to um, um, what needed to be in place, uh, to, um, uh, to operate these, these sites and that they were going to enforce them. And uh, so when those pieces started to fall in place, the changes actually started to take place. Embarrassingly, in a way, was the state of our industry prior to the COVID-19. Um, the provisions of the Occupational Health and Safety Act have been in place for a number of years. We just weren't, uh, from, from the employers, from the unions and from the government, we were not pushing the way we should have been pushing to have those conditions in place. Uh, so the, the, the things that are happening now that, uh, that Joe talked about, I agree with him, um, they're uh, getting into place right now. And I think our um, uh, workforce uh, appreciate it and uh, look forward to uh, to coming to work uh, each day. I mean, the um, it's difficult in some ways for uh, physical distancing, as an example, but it doesn't mean that you it, uh, uh, that you can't go ahead and get the job done. There's a safe way of getting that job done if people look at it. One of them being that you're wearing masks, or um, if you're going to be real close within two, three feet of one another, each person would wear a shield. And so there's, there's ways of accomplishing it. And I can tell you, we did surveys as the building trades across Ontario and across Canada every week since the pandemic started. And the um, number of positive um, uh, exposures across the 
the uh, country, not just Ontario, it doesn't reach two dozen in, um, in, in the whole country. Ontario may be around uh, 12, somewhere around there. So I think there's you know, lessons to be learned here as we look back at what actually uh, uh, took place. Uh, I think that, that there's a pretty positive story can, can come from this. So I'd say uh, generally everybody, I think everybody on the phone uh, today, we all still have reservations about this virus and it doesn't leave us. But as I see it, as we go to work, the superintendents, the general foreman, the foreman, the workers, the apprentices, everybody on the job site has this virus thing in mind and safety. And so that's not a bad way to do your work, thinking about safety. So, so uh, I think that's the silver lining in this. The normal, um, uh, unacceptable to me, but, but uh, the normal injury rate has dropped dramatically, not just because the man hours have dropped some. The people that have been at work are uh, a lot less than getting injured because everybody on the site is thinking safety. So I think it's uh, it's been a good thing. Okay. Uh, I'm going to come back to that silver lining point, but I want to give an opportunity to Giovanni to comment on on how effective these uh, these me- measures have been and have they been working, Giovanni, in your opinion? Well, uh, listen, I mean, I represent the trade that I represent in the sector we represent. It's the high rise residential. We're on site from day one to the day the keys are given to the owners. And then after that, so we are one of the only uh, trades that are there really on site to see it from day from, uh, from its fruition to the ending. Now the facts are uh, the way they played out. We've had, as Patrick had said, um, no uh, positive uh, um, COVID things on site are in our sector yet. So um, I don't think that's just luck. There's a lot of uh, uh, planning and uh, uh, teamwork that, that, that's been put forward. I do have an issue with what Patrick might have said about the masking and the social distancing. The, um, a mask and, and, and a, a face shield doesn't uh, secure a man uh, within six feet. As, he doesn't put him in as, as safe a situation as he does if he's social distancing or physical distancing, as you're saying, which leads us to be concerned because um, there are various uh, episodes on a site where if you are going to social distance uh, in a particular side, then you're going to go against some safety, other safety regulations. So there's a real conflict we have to work there. Um, and that's just the inevitable fact of how we're what, uh, of life on the construction site. Um, having the workforce being more aware of how, uh, the safety is always a good thing. Um, to a level where their their anxiety level goes to, gets to, reaches to a point where they're uh, they're not comfortably on be on site. Well, as Joe had said before, if they're not comfortably on site. There are measures to do that. I mean, they don't leave right away if they don't feel comfortable. The process is you you call your employer. The employer reaches out to the employee and says, how can we fix this? And if they can't re- come to resolution, Ministry of Labor comes in. And I've got to tell you, the Ministry of Labor has been excellent on, on this whole issue. They've been very open with us. We just had a conference call with them this morning on some other issues that they had that we, we they brought to us. And we had an excellent exchange on that. It's a tough job. Uh, I know Monty didn't sign up for this when he got elected, so God bless. Good for him, but he's doing. They're doing a great job, um, and you know, it's it, you did you you have seen some galvanizing of all aspects of the construction sector and industry, whether it be the the contractors, the constructors, mm-hmm. government, um, and it's and it's bode well. I mean, um, we've done we've uh, done. Uh, I, I can't compare with other jurisdictions uh, internationally and maybe one day I'll have some time to figure figure that out right now I've got other things priorities on my mind but uh, um, I think it's uh, uh, if we would have thought about this being in this situation eight weeks ago when it all started I think we'd take it okay. uh, like I said I wanted to go back to that silver lining pack so 
Uh, there's that silver lining that safety has in some ways actually improved uh, on the job site and more and more job sites are opening now uh, in the weeks ahead and months ahead uh, as we flatten this curve. Are all these measures scalable? Can we can the industry um, uh, react in that in that same way? Can we expect the same results to be sustainable? Yeah, in my view, the the um, uh, one piece that isn't part of the Occupational Health and Safety Act presently is the physical or social distancing. As far as washrooms, uh, water and soap and hand cleaner, and you know, the, those kinds of things are all part of the Occupational Health and Safety Act, and they always have been. It's just that we as an industry uh, haven't been as um, uh, attentive to that side as we uh, uh, should have been. But um, we all know that uh, there's no going back. We're, um, we know that, uh, that uh, these things can be accomplished. I'm not um, gonna comment on how much, you know, what the costs are to the, uh, the, to the employers. But the fact is the industry going forward knows that we're not going back, so they have to carry this stuff in their in their uh, bidding. The workers themselves will uh, know that they've uh, seen that. I'm not saying that all the contractors and all the jobs were were uh, bad, but some of them some of them were, and uh, uh, almost embarrassingly so in some cases. So, but those things are uh, I think coming together now that we all see that we can work together and make this happen, government, business and labor. Not too often you would hear uh, employer reps um, commenting on what a wonderful job the enforcement team is doing. But they realize now that the enforcement team aren't coming in there to, um, uh, you know, give the contractor aggravation. They're coming in there to see that health and safety provisions are being met. And, and that's in the best interest of the owner, the best interest of the contractors, and the best interest of the workers. And I think that's where the silver lining, I think myself is gonna be here, that we're gonna to come together on this, knowing that we can agree on these things uh, and, and go forward. And, you know, uh, uh, Giovanni and I were having a discussion before we come on here about, um, uh, you know, attracting people to our industry. One of the negatives of attracting people to our industry has been over the years, our safety record. Parents are responsible. They're the biggest uh, influencer on someone, whether they're going to uh, go into an apprenticeship or not, their offspring. And if they, in their conscience, uh, feel that it's unsafe, why would they recommend their, their, uh, uh, their offspring to come to the trades? With us starting to work together here now and message this out of how safe we actually really can be, I think it's going to help us uh, into the future attracting people, retaining people, and I believe our productivity will be higher uh, down the road than it was before the pandemic. So that's where I see the silver lining. Great. Good thing you mentioned productivity, because one of the things that I actually <laughs> have been hearing about, it's actually that productivity in some of the job sites are down. And that is obviously a concern for subcontractors and contractors. Joe, can you comment if you're hearing that from your neighbors, from your um, uh, uh, members as well, if, if that is something that you're you're feeling uh, that uh, that is happening right now because of the measures that had to be implemented? Well, I think that's a great question. and. and just to build on what Pat said there, look, safety is personal. Uh, it's my own experience. You know, the first time I went onto a, uh, first time my father took me out to a construction site, that morning my mother made it very clear he's got to come back in one piece. The first time my, uh, my father actually went to a hardware store and bought a fall arrest safety system. So when I got up on that roof, I was locked in properly. So safety is personal. And I think with COVID-19, lots of families are having that conversation. This is a very personal safety discussion. So extra eyes on the job site, looking for these hazards, um, is positive, um, is productivity down? Uh, I think it's all within, you know, understanding the reality. So I think in the first two weeks, there was a concern by members about what this meant for productivity. But I think two, two really important things happened in the last 
four weeks of this. The first one is the government recognized that in order to make this work, they had to extend construction hours. So the provincial government moved that forward as a way to help us shift workers, shift the time that they're on site, keep them safe, uh, and still maintain some level of productivity. Because again, there are thousands of people waiting for their keys. And then the second thing I think is, in general, I think we as a, as a society, as a province, have come to recognize that we're all in this together. There's no need in pushing someone um, to work faster or harder. Everyone needs to be patient, put safety in front of everything, keep it personal, because these are people's lives that we're talking about, um, and let's work our way through it. So I think some of the, some of the pre-COVID-19 pressure to get things done, some of the edges come off. And I think, uh, I know my members have made it clear, safety comes first. If we have to slow down, we have to slow down. Um, if we need less workers on the site to keep people safe, so be it. I think that's the environment that we're working with. So is productivity down? Um, of course it is. But I think it needs to be if we're going to be responsible to each other, keep sites safe, keep, keep each other safe. I think it needs to be. And I think, um, I think the industry just, you know, resolved that reality and working its way to it. Okay. Another thing that Pat mentioned was pricing. So are we in a world that now when, you know, contractors go out to price jobs, are they going to start taking, uh, you know, all these kinds of equipment, all the physical distance into account when pricing jobs? Is this like, what is the impact that we're, we can foresee in six months, 12 months from now in some of, of these jobs? Well, I mean, my answer is yes. And I think uh, Giovanni will agree. This is part of the reality post COVID-19, putting all those things into effect, no different than any other major health and safety change that comes in the system. So I think Giovanni, you, you'd agree with me that uh, well, this is not, not a reality. Not only post, but actually there's an issue with pre-COVID as well. And these are this is one of the um, holes that needs to be plugged. Um, all of our contractors and your contractors, um, our contracts are our contracts, just the nature of uh, the beast is they're multi-year contracts and multi-million dollar contracts and a large portion of that is labor a la and at a labor rate that we considered pre-COVID uh, regulations. Um, anybody can look at any site. It doesn't, you don't need a lot of experience to look at the product productivity um, uh, we're losing every, every hour. And that has nothing to say with the workmanship with the men. They're doing their best. Um, and they're doing and being safe, uh, but we are forced uh, to face this uh, uh, reduction in productivity um, and our contractual obligations. And in some cases, you know, the constructors don't want to discuss that, but it's a discussion that they're going to, we're going to have to have going forward. And hopefully, um, uh, with uh, some understanding. Um, with, the, with, the, with the current contracts that we have. Um, and, and it has to be addressed because uh, the productivity is going to be at a rate uh, well, where um, we'll not be back to where we were pre, uh, until, until I would say till if we find a vaccine, I guess. Um, it's, uh, it's just uh, the nature of the beast. Um, and again, it's one of those things that we just sort of said, uh, these pl these plugs that we and, and and to that end the, the discussion the very discussion I had this morning with the Ministry of Labor they brought that up to me they said how they asked me how our productivity is and what can we do about that um, and they wanted to know and I just I gave them my my view and you know um, and I, I just thought it was interesting that you know the fact that they brought it to me um, obviously means it's a bit a big part of their discussion as well um, it, listen uh, again our. Our industry is, is vital. It's vital in the uh, uh, in the life of Toronto. It's vital in the economy of Ontario. Um, and just you know, I, I, we went from our day one just steal a line from, I think it's Carville. It's, it's about not about the economy, stupid. It's about healthcare, stupid. But don't forget about the economy. It's all about we That's the way we have to do it. That's our that was our playbook. We did everything towards keeping our men safe. Uh, and we dealt with whatever productivity issues, economic issues we had, um, uh, at when that we will cross that bridge when we come to. So yes, we are going to be increasing our prices because of COVID. 
Uh, Pat, do you want to comment on on this? I, I'm sure you have an interesting perspective, given that you know uh, I'm sure that the safety comes first, and and the relationship between these two uh, you're most likely paying close attention to, correct? Yeah, we are paying uh, attention to it. Um, I think that um, um, I mean I'm obviously have not uh, one of the employers that's actually paying the um, the uh, wages, but. Uh, from looking at it, uh, I think that uh, as time goes on here, uh, we'll adopt to the, uh, the uh, new uh, conditions uh, that actually were supposed to exist in the past but didn't. Um, but um, as we go forward, um, I think that um, we, could, uh, we could maybe differ some uh, between employers in the building trades, but we think that the, the uh, productivity will pick up. I understand that right at this present time that uh, it has uh, maybe fallen off some, uh, but um, once uh, people see uh, the, the um, enforcement in the workplace, I had some feedback from British Columbia of the enhanced enforcement that they had out there in the construction industry and they had the same thing as what we had here where it was a, deemed essential to keep construction open, but lots of workers left because of their, their fear of the virus. The uh, government in British Columbia enhanced uh, the enforcement by taking uh, enforcement officers from other industries that were shut down, put them in, over into construction to look at the, uh, the uh, health and safety stuff around hygiene and social distancing and so on. When the workers saw the enhanced enforcement, they started to realize that the company and the government were interested in their well-being. And so they were kind of switched from being afraid to be at work to a more positive approach to being at work. And those that had left the industry on their own were asking to come back because they could see where the government and the employers were interested in their safety. So I think that uh, as time goes on, we're going to experience that here in Ontario. Another comment I would make on this is that uh, as we're bidding these jobs out, these things have to be included, but enforcement will be a big, big portion of this because legitimate contractors like the people we have on the phone here today, they're out there doing the right thing. The enforcement is not to make sure these guys are doing the right thing, it's to make sure their competition aren't allowed to slide so that it's a level playing field in the, in the, uh, the industry. Right, and a huge important role for for government in there, and and I wanted to uh, go towards that the role of government, and we start hearing about stimulus funding, and in the past uh, infrastructure has always been part of it, uh, a stimulus funding. How do you think uh, the sector should, or are you already having those conversations with different orders of government um, to ensure that transit, housing, key infrastructure is part of a big stimulus funding that is coming towards uh, hopefully our cities, municipalities, uh, no, uh, no bias here at, at all, but uh, what what is the sector uh, doing on that front? Joe, do you want to start? Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, just building off a of passage earlier, I think, I think innovation will be the next part of what happened in the post COVID nineteen, right? With uh, changing construction schedules and productivity, what are the technological innovations we're going to see? I mean, that's that's just part of the way how work changes on a job site. And I know in my experience, uh, again, uh, that work changes. It changes over time. And there will be adaption to that. So, um, so. Infra, uh, stimulus, infrastructure stimulus. From a home builder perspective, um, you know, the investments made in transit across the province have really uh, supported the move to more intensification and more density. I mean, that's that's what's really fo uh, made things happen, whether it's in Toronto or in London or in Ottawa or in Hamilton, we're seeing that. Um, you think about the intensification in a city like Mississauga and Markham and how it's linked to their future of transit plans. So those are big, big infrastructure pieces. But beyond that, 
things like water, wastewater. I mean, those are fundamental road networks, uh, structural framework pieces that we need for uh, development, whether it's housing or commercial industrial. That's the reality. So our view from a home building perspective is uh, it's time to move from shovel ready to shovel worthy. Uh, there are going to be lots of projects that are going to be put forward uh, from municipalities, provincial governments, federal governments, and likewise, which are shovel ready. But are they shovel worthy if we're looking for uh, stimulus that moves beyond simply putting people to work, but actually moves to a situation of economic development and expansion? If you're going to expand that water wastewater system, if you're going to expand that transit system, what are the private sector investments that take that investment and create a three, four, five times multiplier. I think that's what we're looking at. So you're starting to see that language now around infrastructure, not just shovel, not just shovel ready, but shovel worthy. And I think the criteria around that is, does it spur private investment? Because the reality is government can't pay for everything. We need that private investment now to create a multiplier. So that's our approach on these and uh, government will have to lead. I mean, that's just the reality of where we are right now. I am actually going to pose a question from Terry here um, that says shovel ready sounds good, but do you believe the federal or provincial governments will be able to actually find shovel ready projects and that get them going? What's your opinion, Joe? I spent a lot of time speaking with municipal uh, folks uh, like Deputy Mayor Anna here, and uh, there, are lots of, there, are, there are lots of items on the list. We won't agree on everything on that list but there's more than enough on that list that I think are both shovel ready and shovel worthy. The real question I have for government is, are you prepared to do the heavy regulatory work to get us to those projects? Because I think that's where things get stuck. Um, and I think there has to be a real effort to maintain public safety and public trust on those projects, but to make them a priority and say, listen, can we get this to the process in six months instead of in three years? I think that's really important and we need, Good municipal partners like Deputy Mayor here to help us uh, with those projects. Thanks, Joe. I have to uh, pick up um, uh, on something you said with this shovel worthy, because this recession has hit uh, women uh, in a very disproportion disproportional way. And I see I can't stop looking at the banner that Pat has behind them, uh, which is supporting women in the trades. Uh, Pat, do you think that the industry can respond to some of these needs? Can can we uh, ensure that um, the stimulus packages through this industry is going to target the ones that have been hit the most? We um, have been prior, even prior to the uh, the COVID crisis, lobbying federal, provincial, and municipal governments to include in their um, uh, procurement policies um, to include um, community benefits type uh, uh, agreements. And the whole intent of that is to help attract and, and retain women and other targeted groups into, into the trades. So can it happen? I think yes, it can happen, should it happen? Yes, it should happen, but we got to get past this mixed messaging of where uh, governments are talking about uh, shovel-ready, and I agree uh, with Joe, shovel-worthy uh, projects. We just had one on Friday, a $400 million, uh, $500 million project in Halton uh, uh, canceled a uh, courthouse where... You know, we were looking at it, you know, this has been out and uh, actually um, wasn't quite awarded to the successful bidder, but uh, the, the, the successful bidder has been chosen. And now we, you know, the, the trades are lining up to get people, women into the trades and uh, Aboriginal and so on. And, and now the project is gone. So we got to work together with the, with the uh, employer groups to meet with government we can't have this kind of mixed messaging going on. On one hand, you're talking about how we're going to energize the economy. On the same time, you're saying well, we're, we're cutting this project out. And, you know, we know governments have spent a lot of money um, uh, through this uh, crisis, uh, but uh, they're going to have to spend a lot more uh, going forward to meet their own goals of, 
of uh, building the economy back up. We all want to uh, to uh, be part of that, and we'll work together with them on it. But uh, do I think that uh, uh, women in the trades absolutely um, uh, to us at the building trades, it's a big part of us going forward. Right. Pat, I have an, uh, uh, a question here from Bill uh, for you. Uh, Bill asks, what impact will all these new rules and enforcement have on the pace of being able to finish projects on time? Pat said that sites could actually be more productive. How is this possible? Well, the, the um, because I think it's possible because the uh, the uh, employer community, uh, the procurement documents, the employer community, everybody will be uh, bidding work at, at a level uh, playing field. And um, uh, I said earlier on that uh, enforcement plays a large part in that. One of the key factors that construction has always wrestled with is where you have legitimate uh, contracting firms and, uh, and projects um, where they include the kind of stuff that, uh, that we're talking about here. But you have um, um, people that are kind of, um, you know, contractors that don't uh, live up to these standards, undercutting the legitimate contractors. And so there's always been a pressure there on the legitimate contractors not to do some of this stuff if they think it's a cost factor. But if the enforcement is in place and everybody has got to meet these standards, the legitimate contractors, who, by the way, are the ones that hire and graduate apprentices, they will um, uh, uh, flourish, I believe. And, and I think that the... the um, some of the contractors that are kind of allowed to uh, cut corners, once the cutting of the corners is taken out of the way, uh, some of them will fall by the wayside, but some of them will become legitimate, strong contractors. Good. I have uh, one more question here from Maria, and I think I'll, I'll open it to any of you that has this kind of information. Uh, Maria asks, do we know the percentage of workers do, that do not want to go to work what percentage has decided not to do so? Any of you has any data on this? Um, just on my part, uh, for my sector, we're working at about, uh, I'd say 15%, 15 to 10%. Uh, that was 40, uh, maybe up when it started. Um, and the dynamic of that was what was still concerning with me. This is what, again, getting back to my original, where we wanted to have a pause. The idea was to, it was just about the confidence of the men. I just saw when looking at our, and, and talking with our employees, they had this thousand mile stare that they didn't know what they were getting into. And I just thought that was not a healthy way to walk into a construction site. Um, and I was, you know, my, my concern then was I need, we need to get the confidence back. And the first way to do that was to take a step back, get everything cleaned up, let them know that we are, we're, we're there 110%, not doing it on the fly as we did. Um, I think that's just the 15% is a residue of why this happened. That if we, if we had had done that, it would, I would, I would argue that we'd probably be the 5% or somewhat less. But that's all conjecture at this point. Um, there's definitely people out there that are still concerned. Here with, with network, we it's completely the men's um, uh, prerogative. Um, I've, I've, from day one, I said, don't make this about money because at that point, we didn't know all the programs that were gonna be out there, but I was sure there was gonna be some. I said, that will be taken care of one way or another, but um, you know, your job will be here when you're ready to come back. And fortunately, some of them haven't, and you know, uh, some have decided not to for various reasons. And I think you'll just have, you'll see that uh, play out. Um, I think there's another question that is a bit related to this. Uh, Mary asks if we think that all trades will be impacted similarly, or do you think some trades are more off are more impacted than others? Maybe Pat, do you want to comment on that? Are are, are trades impacted in a different way? Not to, uh, to my knowledge, uh, 
I don't know that uh, uh, for sure. Um, I, I guess there's a couple of things I'd like to say about this, uh, about um, the question that uh, Giovanni just answered and how it uh, plays into this with the different uh, trades. Um, the, the, there's three groups to me that are, are uh, out there in the construction sector now. Those that, um, uh, when it was declared an essential service, those that with grave concerns, but they stayed at work. Then there was a group that uh, Giovanni has talked about. There are people that were uh, real concerned about the virus and their families and so, themselves personally and their families uh, that voluntarily went home. Then there's a third group that uh, the owner client and or the contractors cut back on uh, the amount of people they wanted into their facilities. So, so now when you look at those, uh, I don't know exact, then you had a, a, a fourth part where the government decided to uh, cut uh, commercial uh, away from the essential service. So how do we attract all these people back? The ones that stayed at work that see the improvements, hopefully their mindset is, is becoming more positive of, of, of being at work. I think uh, you know a fairly a fair good amount of the group that left voluntarily, as they see and hear from their uh, uh, co-workers um, uh, that things have improved. You know, there be a number of them come back. Um, the uh, I understand now that the um, um, uh, organizations, some in the industrial, some in the power sector, that uh, scaled way back are now starting to bring people back in. Their problem is going to be, you decided that we should leave because of the virus and how unsafe this is. What have you done in an already safe environment? What have you uh, uh, done to improve our safety in the environment that we left? So, so there, there's some issues that got to be addressed there. Now, how does, does that impact on an electrician different than um, uh, a door framer or um, I don't really uh, uh, see that. And I would. Uh, yeah, I think uh, like there, there are some more trades, if I could just interject, uh, more trades yeah. lend themselves out to having multiple workers doing with the single in the same uh, task, such as um, forming contract, uh, forming uh, workers, uh, concrete workers, uh, carpenters, um, the nature of their work uh, lends them lends them the, the requirement of them working in close proximity to each other much much more, and there is no social dis uh, distancing happening there. Even to I mean, you just it's just you can't have it can't have it. I mean, all you any even you can, all you gotta do is you, you drive up for Highway 400. They're doing a ramp there, and every time I drive by there, there's there's 12 guys really. Uh, working, doing whatever they can, and, but they're not. There's not the social distancing. So there are certain trades. The trades that lend themselves out to have individual work, like I would, I would suspect most of the electrical trade could be done on a one-off person. And they can do that on our trade. You know, we, we we have to handle large pieces of equipment, large pipes, and it takes multiple people. So um, we are able to do that to some extent. Um, that's that right now. That's what we're trying to. Uh, remediate, uh, uh, remediate uh, to get a better working um, environment for that and with using equipment and other, and other nature. So there are uh, different uh, differences in terms of certain trades. Okay. I have one question uh, from Joseph that asks, the construction industry is a very labor-intensive one. Is a more automated, less labor-intensive job site part of a more resilient, safer, and new normal? Joe, do you want to start? Yeah, so I, I think when I mentioned earlier the idea of innovation on job sites, I think that's part of it now, right? We're going to see a reorganization of work. How can you accommodate social distancing with certain trades? What technologies can you use? Um, I think you're going to start seeing that. I think also, you know, back to the earlier question around uh, bringing in new people into the workforce, I think there's a great opportunity for not retraining of unemployed workers. I think there's an opportunity to re-career people 
there is an opportunity for people to enter this as a career for sectors that may not recover, whether it's retail or others, there is an opportunity. And I think if, if we show ourselves to be a safe work environment, innovative, adaptive, I think we will attract people who have avoided the trades for a host of reasons, but hopefully safety isn't one of them anymore. So I think there's a real opportunity there for people to sort of find a re-career re opportunity in all of this as a silver lining. So I think innovation will be part of that. I think uh, re-careering will be part of that. It's just how the industry is going to have to respond. And the last thing I would say is, look, there's two types of people, problem sayers and problem solvers. And the world needs more problem solvers right now. So I think with all these things, there are opportunities to solve those problems and create new opportunities for new people. Do you think that there's going to be some people in the industry that are going to start differentiating themselves from others? Like this, the ones that will survive this will be the innovators and the ones that will put safety at the forefront and and start really thinking outside of the box. Do you think that's what's going to take to to move move the industry to the other? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think this new environment has shown itself that those who are prepared to adapt and respond and be responsible and deal with public safety and safety and work their way through the productivity challenges, um, they'll find they'll find the opportunities to survive. I think that's going to be like that with all the sectors. Construction is no different. I will just add this last one thing. We build what we sell. So ultimately, the communities that we are building reflect what people want to invest in. The real question is going to be, um, is, the, is the population growth projected in Ontario going to continue? There's a projection that says by 2031, 2.6 million more home believers are going to come to this province. And that means we need a million homes to accommodate this growing population. So part of that will be, are people still coming here? Do we still need to keep building? And then the other side of that is going to be, what are we building? Because there is an ongoing discussion about, from an academic standpoint, is density going to continue to be the theme of development in Ontario? Are we going to move back into a more um, greenfield development, suburban environment where people want space? Um, because COVID-19 has changed the way people... I, I'm going to have to interrupt you there because you, you missed a really important part, which is the missing middle. We can always move into that. Always. <laughs> always part of that mix. <laughs> always part of the mix. Always part and, of the mix. And, and create great housing that way. Uh, we are getting to the one o'clock. Um, I, I want to give an opportunity to Pat and, uh, uh, and Giovanni. Giovanni, uh, last word on, on, on this topic and then Pat to, to wrap us up. Uh, sure. Um, you know, the government has made it very clear. If you do not run a safe ship, you will not be taken out of the port. You will not. You just won't continue. Um, they've done that through your regulations, and it's worked very well. So I believe what uh, Joe is, has said is already happening. Um, uh, it, it, safety has become uh, the forefront on all of ours. Uh, of our uh, um, modus operandi. Innovation has always been there too. We're been, I mean, our industry is, is very, very flexible. It's been changing uh, every, every six months. There's new products, new items. Um, I just, I know just the, the products that were around when we, when I started, when I was on the field uh, for the few summers that I wouldn't work there as we all did is are a lot different than they are now. Um, so um, I would suggest though, nothing is going to replace the two hands of a good tradesman. And so with that, I'll pass Pat. Very last word, 30 just, seconds. Okay, just uh, quickly, uh, the building trades construction unions have always been uh, positive towards automation and new technology. We know that it takes that to build a strong economy. A strong economy is creating jobs. And uh, like Giovanni just said, when those jobs uh, are uh, created, it takes tradespeople to put the uh, technology in place. So we're uh, very supportive of uh, Joe's comments there around um, automation and new technology. Thank you. And uh, with that, I, I just want to thank you all. Uh, I think this is uh, a great, there was a great discussion. I think there's no question that construction is a great part of our economy, building the great infrastructures that our country and our cities need, uh, and always keeping in mind uh, that we need to have 
our good men and women on the front lines in a safe environment. And I think that's ultimately what everybody wants. And the way that we're going to get there is with cooperation and absolutely innovation. And uh, we'll see we'll see that moving forward. I think that's a wrap, Mike. Thanks. One uh, o'clock. There you go. Uh, <laughs> perfect. Uh, run like a, a great uh, construction project uh, delivered delivered on time. Uh, thank you. Thank you all very much. Uh, of course, the Empire Club has changed uh, because of COVID too, and we're doing these uh, virtual events now as opposed to ones we used to do in person. Uh, but in some ways, the format's the same, right? which is uh, bring together smart people to deal with the topic that's uh, of great interest to to folks and. Um, of course, our construction sector is so vital to the economy and, and having each of you, uh, Pat, Joe, Giovanni and Anna uh, take them through discussion has been great and very insightful. Um, to those of you watching on Wednesday, we'll be holding another event that will be focused on the on the the world of trading and, and how to make money in the in the financial markets in this environment. Uh, please, uh, please look for that on our website. Uh, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks again to our panelists. Uh, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.